Yeah, as much as I love shoes, um, <laughs> you know, there's bigger reasons people are injured, um, you know, much bigger. It's not, you know, there, there was that, there was that uh, interesting study on like, just, or is this like a survey, uh, like asking runners, you know, why do you think deep runners get injured? And there was just so many that said shoes is like the most important thing. And it's just, it's crazy because it, no, it's obviously training load. Um, you're not going to get a running injury if you don't run. So it's like, that's the driver is, is the, um, the load and your training organization and, and your progression. Um, and all the other stuff filters in, but it's not as important for some people. Like you said, like it's, it's individual. So for some people, once you've screened all that stuff, you may, you may start thinking, oh, maybe this other stuff does have a significant role. And you, obviously we still see that clinically if someone's just, their training hasn't changed, but they have switched shoes, then yeah, you can identify that that shoe is potentially, you know, a pretty deep driver to that injury. Um, but yeah, you got to tick off the main things first. You got to, you got to really get into, uh, it takes time, but that's the, that's the important stuff. You got to delve into all that stuff, all the risk factors that they maybe won't um, have even thought about or, I always as well, I ask them when they come in, I really like asking runners why they think they're injured <clears throat> just to get, yep. you know, I want to know their perception because sometimes it, it, it may mean if their perception is something totally different to what I think is why they're injured, I need to spend more time like rationalizing to them why I think differently to them rather than just saying, no, this is why, because uh, they're probably not going to buy in very well if, if you're just sort of telling them it's this and they think it's something else and you haven't explained why you think that. Um, so, yeah, it's um, that stuff's just super important. You need to go, yeah, you need to go through all that um, that that training and recovery and stress stuff, um, and the other stuff comes next. Yeah, no, I, lo- I love how um, you you really delve into um, the patient's belief system because um, you have to get pretty um, you have to get to that to actually make a change. Um, Welcome to the Run Culture Podcast. My name is Dane Verway. I'm an experienced runner and running physiotherapist. I created this podcast not only so I had an excuse to talk running each and every week, something that I love to do, but more importantly, this podcast gives me the opportunity to interview fellow runners, friends, and health professionals in a relaxed and easygoing format. This podcast is designed for the everyday runner, so we can all live, learn, grow, and enjoy everything there is to running together. I hope you enjoy the show. Welcome back to episode 60 of the Run Culture Podcast. Today, I have the privilege to be talking to Thomas DeCanto, who not only is a highly distinguished runner, 214 marathoner, 2016 Melbourne marathon winner, 2016 six foot track marathon winner, Australian representative in the 2017 World Half Marathon Champs in Valencia, running 64-18, but also a highly sought after sports podiatrist from North Sydney. He's been a podiatrist since 2011, and he's one of the directors of Walker Street Sports Podiatry. He's the third podiatrist I've had on the podcast. I've had Michael Nishki, Nita, and Caleb McInnes. So welcome to the podcast, Tom. Thanks for having me, Dan. Yeah, no, th- thanks, um, thanks for um, coming on. Uh, it's, 
it's um, been great to chat to other running sort of therapists um, across the country so far. And uh, uh, I wanted to start out the chat with just chatting about how how your running's going and how has COVID affected everything, um, yeah, your way. Um, yeah, I can't complain. Uh, training and running has been going pretty well for me. Um, just not, not, uh, because I have no marathon. So I've sort of been training for marathons the last few years, but, um, cause there's nothing, I don't really know when the next one will be. I've just been taking the foot off the gas a bit with, with mileage and training. Um, just been kind of nice, just nothing, just, just sort of training, enjoying training, um, getting back into some group sessions um and yeah getting fit again so getting ready for some races to kick off hopefully some cross country in the next few weeks yeah nice um so, did you do yeah, it should be good did you do a 10k the other day uh was that with run crew okay. yeah yeah we did like an internal time trial race sort of things like a run crew thing yeah so um uh, just in centennial park the guys uh, marked out this this little cross country loop it's pretty cool it's a little like a uh pine foresty section and just lots of little turns and little rises and muddy sections and whatnot so yeah that was good fun had a big turnout for it oh really how many yeah yeah oh i don't know there's probably there was it's different ages so because they've got lots of juniors as well but probably could have been a hundred or a hundred or so in total yeah probably oh that's great maybe yeah. Yeah. Um, but it's, it was fun, like, uh, doing that and then now having these cross country races stuff, um, makes me realize how much I've missed, but I haven't done cross country in years. It's, um, it's just fun. It's fun. Um, it's fun getting out there and also with everyone talking about shoes a lot, which I enjoy, but like, it's like, you have to think about, oh, is he wearing the latest, um, paperfly or next percent or oh, whatever, yeah. cause it's just, you just throw on some spikes and, um, and just <laughs> race and worry about times, just, just race each other and have yeah. fun. Yeah. Yeah, nice, nice. Yeah. Before, um, yeah, COVID nineteen hit. What was the plan for this year? And uh, uh, yeah, I mean, it's all dependent on how it goes over, um, yeah, the next six months or twelve months. But um, yeah, what is the plan going forward, marathon wise? Uh, I was actually down for London, so I was going to do London in April. Um, so yeah, obviously that got canned and. I don't think it's going to go ahead in October, which is the postponed date. So I'm not going to do that. Um, if, yeah, if things settle down and we can travel, I might do London next April. Um, yeah. To throw it to then. That, yeah. that might be good. Um, if stuff goes on domestically, like I'm just thinking about maybe a marathon domestically at the end of the year. Um, I don't, I don't think it doesn't, I don't think Melbourne's going to go ahead. Um, I don't know what you think about, yeah, about no. Melbourne going ahead, but. I was hopeful a week or two ago, and yeah, I'm, I'm, I was certainly sort of um, planning my training around that. Um, uh, okay. Yeah, but then, uh, yeah, just in, in the last week or so, yeah, I just can't see it happening now. Um, yeah, uh, yeah, especially just a large a scale. I would, have, I would have been keen to probably come down and, and do it, but yeah. yeah. Yeah, especially being a past winner. Yeah, well, I've had, <laughs> yeah, I've had some good runs down there, so... Yeah. Yeah, it's, uh, yeah. <laughs> Just on the marathon, do you think there's um, any more time that you can take off that, yeah, 2.14 that you did in Fukuoka? Yeah, yeah, I think so. I yeah. think so. Uh, but I, I thought that the last couple of times I've ran and I had <laughs> shockers. Uh, yeah. Um, 
Uh, I think if I get, um, it's, it's, yeah, it, it's just sort of prioritizing a block, getting some, some good training in again, and then not getting sick and just things sort of coming together. I think I should be able to run. Like, I think I should be able to run at least a minute or, or maybe even two faster. Yeah. Um, the next time I run and, and prep for one. Yeah. Cause yeah, I did a bit of reading in preparation for the podcast and, uh, yeah, I saw how you had a, a, a pretty, um, decent sort of injury history, um, in the past and, and it's, uh, it wasn't sort of until sort of a, a, around, um, was it about 2015 or so that, um, you started to sort of learn a bit more about your body and seem to have got a bit more consistently consistent. And, um, and then you had that sort of breakthrough, um, in 2016, uh, and then 2017, um, yeah, with some great performances. Yeah. 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 I've had touch wood like i'm uh, i've been pretty good injury wise in recent years and i think um it it took me a long time to to be more sensible with training okay that's prim- probably the primary reason just like yeah like listening you know listening to your body but it's it's one thing thinking about it and knowing it and actually doing it and implementing it so i think um implementing it more and just um having a good balance with life like i'm not i'm not I, I, when I'm training for a marathon, like, yeah, I'll, I'll put more, more of my effort into that than in some other areas in my life might get a bit ne- neglected, but it's not, it's not like an all or nothing sort of thing, uh, which I think is good for not getting like too worked up. If you're going to miss a session here, miss a session there or whatever, because it's not yeah, at the end of the day, it's just, just it's something you enjoy doing. So you want to keep doing it and not get injured. Yeah. 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 Like you're the state director of the New South Wales and ACT um, Australasian Academy of Pediatric um, Sports Medicine. Um, so as that role, you deliver a lot of education to the members. Um, so you're really well versed in um, the evidence um, behind, um, you know, some concepts to do with podiatry. Um, so I wanted to chat to you today about um, a, a few common sort of myths and misconceptions in the running community. Um, uh, and I've got a list of about, um, three or four things that I wanted to go over. And, and the, the first one, I wanted to chat to you about, um, the concept of minimalism and your for- thoughts on, um, minimalism and maximalism, and even to explain to the everyday runner, um, uh, what minimalism and maximalism alludes to and, uh, and then what the literature, um, sort of, uh, says in terms of whether one's better for injury rates or, or, um, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, sure. Um, before I, yeah, before I get into that, just excitingly, as you mentioned the, um, that, that board that I'm on with last night, we just passed, um, uh, a name change for us. So okay. we're actually going to be called um, uh, Sports and Exercise Podiatry Australia. So I think that, that's a bit uh, bit easier on the tongue. Yeah, that's than, definitely easier than to what say. You, <laughs> than what you described, yeah. So I think uh, that just proves the point that we should have changed the name a long time ago. <laughs> <laughs> As you can hear, yeah, I struggled so, with that one. <laughs> yeah, so that's, that's cool. That's exciting. But um. Yeah, it's a big, it's a kind of a big topic to unpack. It's um, 
you know, obviously, I think a lot of runners that have been running for, for a while now, at least, you know, last six, six, ten years, they, we experienced that sort of that boom of more, um, you know, that minim, minimal, uh, minimalistic sort of boom that sort of peaked when that, you know, Born to Run book sort of came out. I think that was 2008, nine, something like that, yeah, I think, 2009 maybe. Yeah. Um, and it's kind of just, it's just sort of faded out, hasn't it, a little bit? Sort of, so it was sort of quite, quite a big thing. There was a lot of research as well. So off the back of that and the interest and then the, the, the sort of, I think footwear companies were, were making more minimal type shoes and there were increased sales of those minimal type shoes. Um, and then the studies started coming in, um, which was great um, off the back of that. So because to be honest, like Born to Run, it was a nice story, um, but it was just packed full of pseudoscience. It was, you know, the, the studies that he was quoting were, were cherry picked and it was sort of it just fitted his narrative. And it was a, it was an interesting book. But, um, yeah, it kind of was it was a, it was a pseudoscience sort of sort of book. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So it's been nice to, to, to see some of these studies come out in, in relation to to footwear and 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 um, how you know if people if if yeah running in minimal shoes is better for us than running in the traditional um, or what we have been running in for you know since the 80s like pretty pretty well cushioned shoes and uh, higher stack and 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 a drop so an elevation the heel um, and yeah and so from from looking at the various studies like it doesn't really seem like to date there's any sort of evidence to suggest that any any sort of blanket recommendation should be given in regards to going more minimal so um there's really nothing there that says that you know this this group of people as a whole had less injuries because they transitioned to to running in minimal shoes and if anything like the, the ones that that i've read and you know i try not to cherry pick i try and read as, as many of I, as, as I can, um, you know, there's there's risk associated with it. So there's actually probably more risk of getting injured if you're already running in a traditional shoe or a well-cushioned shoe and then you try and transition to something vastly different. There's inherent injury risk involved and some of those studies are highlighting that fact. Um, the classic one, like an early, one of the earlier ones that came out was um, they this, this group used the the Vibram Five Fingers, so Vibram Five Fingers, which is that classic sort of barefoot shoe, uh, just kind of an oxymoron. It's like they're selling it to, so you can run barefoot. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, the idea it gave you a bit of protection. But um, yeah. That that when they used to sell that shoe, there was like a, a recommendation with it on how to transition into using it from standard shoes, and it was um, it was a, a ten week protocol, um, and straight away like that seems to me a bit a bit crazy if you're thinking of going from a, a traditional shoe to a, like a pretty much running barefoot on whatever surface in 10 weeks. Um, and, and yeah, not surprisingly, the study showed that the, so it was a, you know, a randomized control that had a control group that just stayed in their conventional shoe that their cushioned shoe and a group that transitioned, um, into the Vibrams and they, um, so what they did was like a, an MRI, uh, they, they basically were looking for bone, bone stress markers um, at the end of the study. So the group that did transition, they had, um, yeah, vastly more um, signs of bone stress. Two of the runners had stress fractures, and I think it was about half of the group had, like, stress reactions in their foot, various bones in the foot. 
um, whereas one of the runners in the in the group in the other group um, that stayed in their um, cushioned you know conventional shoes had um, any marker of bone stress. Um, but yeah, the first week, like in, with the transition of that, looking at how they did it, like even in the first week, they they suggested running one and a half to three k's in the Vibram, which yeah, I just think it's too much. Yeah. So and, and a lot yeah. of people that, that the barefoot people, the, the people that sort of that are fanatical about you know barefoot's best, um, you know they'll obviously they'll say oh yeah of course it didn't work because the transition was too short and that's true, um, but. Then, like, other studies came out and, like, there was actually a study that did, had, like, a six-month uh, transition. So, and that's, you know, that's more reasonable. Like, you try and transition over a six-month period. Um, but even that study, that showed that um, the, the, trend, the people that transitioned were no better off. And, in fact, there was probably a, more, a, a trend for more injuries in the transition group to, to minimal shoes um, versus just staying in your cushioned normal shoe that you've been running in, you know, with a bit yeah. of a drop and a stack and, and that sort of stuff. Okay. Um, yeah. Okay. Yeah. And um, so would you say in the, like a good summary would be like with footwear, um, whether you go more or less in terms of like minimalist or maximalist, um, uh, the, like the footwear, like, so say you go less and you go into a, a barefoot runner, um, like it, it's not necessarily um, that that causes the injury. It sort of merely determines where the load is and and the risk is. Um, yeah. So, um, uh, like obviously, um, yeah. When you when you wear barefoot runners um, or or minimalist kind of runners, you you're loading up your calf, Achilles, your foot, and ankle a, a bit more. Um, but if you've got a history of wearing that kind of shoe and you've got a quite a strong foot, maybe you're more tolerant of more training in a shoe like that than the next person who hasn't got a history or doesn't doesn't have a a a, a foot that's as robust. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. 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 That that but it's just yeah, it makes total sense. It's um and you're right about the the it kind of just filters where the load goes. So that, you know, that's, it's kind of like same thing um, with training paces. So, you know, jogging generally, the load may be more around, you know, approximately around the knee and the hip. And so we talk more like about volume-based injuries. So, yeah, more like the telosomoral pain um, versus, and everyone that's done intervals knows, like you haven't done an interval session for a while, you know, your, your calves are probably going to be quite sore. So the, the faster running generally shifts the load distally, foot and ankle, um, and footwear is a little bit like that as well. So yeah, generally those more minimal shoes, um, you'll get yeah more load down around the foot and ankle. And that's why as a podiatrist, it's it's skewed perspective like as well clinically because obviously during that period where people were wearing more minimal shoes, I was seeing more injuries. But I don't know what yeah you were seeing, Dane. Maybe you were seeing less patellofemoral pain with the yeah. you know with the minimal boom. So yeah, because that's that's a decent rationale as well for, for switching, and, and that's more like clinical rationale than, than blanket recommendation. So you know, if I was seeing someone with patellofemoral pain and they have you know you look like they've got pretty normal feet, then maybe that would be a recommendation. You know, to go to go more minimal, like get get less under the foot, so they maybe will use their foot and ankle more to absorb that load, and then they will. Um, appreciate that yeah yeah and then 
But then, like, if they didn't have a strong calf or foot um, and you did that, um, yeah, I suppose they're more at risk of still getting an injury, but it might be more in their... They might have shifted the load from their knee to their foot and ankle. Um, like, yeah, so, yeah. like, you're still getting an injury, but you're not... You're not... Yeah, so, like... So with with that, and I think uh, Michael Nishke explained it really well in that if you're not running much, then um, uh, I suppose like if, if the volume's not excessive, then the shoes probably don't matter as much. Would, would you agree with that? Yeah. 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 So like yeah. Um, if like um, su- suddenly it becomes less of a pertinent point, um, but in if you're training like with high volumes um, and you're really stressing your body and um, and perhaps um, you know you're not getting adequate adequate recovery, um, yeah, um, yeah, uh, and and it depends on I suppose the the person that's involved and uh, uh, yeah, then I suppose shoe, shoes can become you know a bit more of a pertinent point. Yeah, yeah, for yeah. sure. Yeah. Um... Yeah, that makes total sense. Um, and then with um, with uh, next point that I wanted to sort of go over um, orthoses. Um, what are some misconceptions when you um, uh, prescribe when when come in, when people come in with ortho orthoses and, um, uh, and that that you see regularly in the clinic. Um, there's a general, um, people that come in, but also just in the community, like if I'm seeing something on the internet or people are chatting about it, like, I think there is this misconception that probably is still like, it's probably still the fault of like old school podiatry, which was sort of how, (laughs) how we've used to prescribe orthotics or orthoses, um, is, is the alignment paradigm. Like it's, it's like prescribing something to improve um, the alignment of the foot or the lower limb, um, which which isn't actually how they work. So that's a big misconception is you like, so if if it was on that basis that you could, you could pretty much walk down the street and say, everyone needs an orthotic because no one's in the perfect position. And what, you know, we had, there was like, yeah, there was like, um, actual, um, angles and things that we thought would be ideal, but um, it's just not how it's not how it works. It's not how how our bodies work. So um, we you know grow up and develop with our own anatomy and post- it could be a whole body posture as well as foot posture. Um, and you know it needs to be pretty severe um, away from the norm before you know I'd intervene just on on um, alignment or posture, foot posture alone. Um, so primarily, how I would rec- you know when I would recommend an orthotic is nothing almost never just on on foot posture and how flat the foot is it's 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 more to do with symptoms and pain and injury um and and in that respect it's just a matter of um putting something in there that i know designed in a way to reduce load on an overloaded part of the foot and ankle or lower limb um yeah i'd say that's that's the main gist of it yeah and uh do the orthotics um, change the way the foot moves? 
Uh, it's inconsistent. So basically, um, there's there were there's there's been a load of studies on on movement or, or like the kinematics of the movement pattern, and um, it it's so there it's it's um, subject specific. So yeah, so you could you know in you could do an orthotic with um, you know a medial ramp, so it's like inverted you know five degrees or whatever, so it's higher on the in, inner side to supinate the foot. But you will get some people that will you know. Um, pronate on that device and they may even pronate more than okay. they might pronate on an anti-pronation device and they may even pronate more yeah. um so that's like it's yeah it's just so variable um so the movement is not the goal it's more to do with um you know more recent studies have looked at the, the um, kinetics which is like the forces the internal forces that are going on in around the, the foot and ankle and that shows much more consistent patterns so if i did that orthotic that was anti-pronatory that had that that sort of more support on the medial side of the foot um there would be a reduction in stress say for example on with the muscles that would normally do that job like the tibialis posterior for example so um it's yeah it's it, movement yeah they don't really work that way in yeah in any sense um yep. it, it's more to do with um, like sometimes you will see yeah you'll see it movement you know, the stability shoe, you'll see less heel counter. You see the shoe maybe won't cop you collapsing in more in, in, in a lot of the time, but um, you don't really know what the, foot, the foot's doing inside that shoe. And, and it's more to do with the goal is more the um, changing forces than, than changing motion. Yeah, 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 sure. And then you're looking more at a pain approach. Um, yeah. Pain, like yeah, pain. So that's where it comes down to like, you know, if I've got someone in with so acute like pretty acute pain, maybe high grade pain. Um, I would go down the route of either, you know, because at the end of the day, someone comes in and want to see me. They want to, you know, a lot of the time they want to sort of get out of pain sooner and get running sooner. So I give them all the options possible to them and they decide what they want to do. And it could be something like um, we're talking mechanically to reduce load to help with pain or be strapping. Uh, the next step up from that might be like a prefabricated orthotic, like a form orthotic. Uh, and they're great because they're, you know, in clinic here, I can just add a wedge here, add a wedge there, grind a bit off here and just fit it on the same day, um, relatively inexpensive. And it, it, it might, and, and something like that may only be um, a, you know, short to medium term tool to help with pain, mobility. And then the goal for most people would be to just wean off that in time once they get out of their pain um, and we address the other things that might may have led to it. So, you know, most of the time, like Nita will bang on about it, you know, it's it's the driving factors, the, the training load. So I'm going to obviously in the history talk about, you know, just get a, a good overall picture on why they're actually injured and, and delve into that, that training load stuff. And, and also then, you know, in the assessment, would you like strength stuff and, and whether there's stuff we need to work on with rehab, um, but then if in the history, like obviously I also get people coming in with recurrent, you know, recurrent pain or pain that, um, is chronic or there doesn't seem to be a big training load driver. And in those cases, if they're, you know, if I, you know, that's, that's the history. And then I look at their feet, look at their biomechanics and they do have like a, yeah, severely pronated foot, very unstable foot. They're hypermobile, for example. So people that, that are, you know, that, that, that are just generally hypermobile um, as well. They may be candidates for, yeah, long-term use of 
maybe not orthotic. It could be just maybe they need to be more of a stability shoe or a more, more slightly more stable shoe for most of their running. Um, or maybe they do. Maybe they will benefit from from a, an orthotic for you know X percentage of their volume um, ongoing. Um, yeah. So it's just like there's no hard and fast with orthotics. That's the thing. Like any like with anything like blanket recommendations never work. Like it's not like orthotics are good or bad or they're, they're for everyone or not for anyone. Um, there's still obviously a percentage of the population um, that will do quite well with them for long term use. Not a, I don't think it's a big percentage at all, but there would be a percentage, particularly again if, if they want to be training for if they're you know running marathons or whatever. So the the, the the exposure to running makes a big difference as well. So if yeah, if they're just running 20k a week, and they've got, you know, they're hypermobile or, you know, very far from the norm biomechanics, maybe they'll get away with that if they're doing low volume. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it just depends. <laughs> depends. Yeah, I know myself. Um, um, for example, like I um, I use a heel raise for every um, runner that I. Um, um, put on my foot I just swap my heel raises to every shoe and it's um yeah it's actually a nine mil heel raise um and uh ge- genetically like my dad um has quite stiff um ankles um and then my brothers have stiff ankles and I've got stiff ankles and um we've all got tight calves and achilles and um yeah it's almost it's uh, I feel so much better with a heel raise um so I've sort of yeah, just come to the realization that that's um, structurally something that I've benefited from um, to control my Achilles and and how much load goes through it and and um, how good it feels. Um, have, yeah. have you seen that a bit in the clinic with some runners where they've um, yeah perhaps struggled to get out of a heel raise and and just um, almost used it long term? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I'm in the same boat as you, okay. Dane. Yeah. Um, I, I've, I've got either a, a, a six to nine mil in like most of my shoes now. Yeah. Um, and even that cross country we did the other uh, last weekend, um, I had a, it was something like a, it was like probably like a 10 mil lift in my spikes. This is, I knew, yeah. And, and over time, like you, it's, it, it used to be a little bit wear it here, then wean off and, yep. you know, wear it again, then wean off. But, that in the last few years, that's been my. If I'm going to get an issue, it's it's like Achilles or foot related. So I found over the years personally that um, yeah, just just always having extra heel elevation seems to work better. Um, yeah. Touch wood, like my knees, uh, I've never had really issues with my knees at all. So you know, uh, as you know, the heel lift may shift load somewhere else, but it, yeah. as long as the body's willing to accept that extra load, like my calf and Achilles, just much uh, much happier. With yeah. that, and that for me, yeah. So for me, that look personally, it's a long-term strategy for me. And um, I have, yeah, I've certainly got some runners that are in the same boat. I try not to like, because we, I've got that bias now, that yeah. personal experience, and that bias. So I yeah. try not to like. I always try not to feel like oh, this is going to work for you. You know, it worked for me, but um, you know, I just try and be as objective as possible. And there still are those people that like. I just had a guy in yesterday. He's, a, he's chronic insertional Achilles issues. So. For someone like that, it's like it's a bit of a you know. It's just you know said to him that this is probably you know maybe worth just being more of a long term strategy than trying to you know get out of these and rehab out of them just because it's been such a yeah such a long drawn out process that's just re- recurrent and and chronic. So um, yeah, and the people that get like the, the people get sort of over the years they keep getting those calf tears and you know that sort of stuff and 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 
older runners as well like they tend to get more calf and achilles issues so rather than the younger the younger ones yes um yeah i read a nice i guess you and i you and i are in that boat now yeah in, in yeah, the older category, so. <laughs> yeah um yeah, yeah mid 30s uh, um with um with uh on, on your blog um on your um your um website uh you, you wrote a good article about uh heel heel drop in in shoes and um how over the last uh uh five plus years uh all the brands have they used to be you know always at about 12 mil heel toe drop and now they've actually there's some of their ranges where they're um more a, a zero drop um or a four or five millimeter millimeter heel toe drop um how important is just a few millimeter change uh here and there with with what you've seen um uh with the patients that you treat uh yeah i think it makes a pretty big difference um Again, it would depend on like the volume that they're doing. Like if, if someone yep. has a daily trainer and they do, you know, all their, all their mile, easy mileage in, in a shoe and they're doing the, I don't know, 100K a week or 80K a week in that, even a few mil I think is quite significant um, yep. because the cumulative, the cumulative effect of that, of that small difference, it just, it, it, it you know, builds up over time. Um, so it's not the, I mean, there's probably there's just big other features of shoes that would make a difference as well. Like, um, I think drop drops important, but yeah, also like the level, like the stack height, the actual amount of cushioning and, and then stability. And that, that doesn't necessarily mean like a medial post stability is just, yeah. Um, it, it's a bit of a, it's a bit hard to know really until you've tried on a few shoes and you've got a lot of experience with shoes with what feels good and what feels maybe feels stable. Cause even in within like the neutral category of, of shoes is a vast amount of variation in sort of stability, particularly immediately if someone does have a foot that does roll in a fair bit. Um, so all those factors um, play, play a pretty significant role. Yep. And what it, the, the water's getting a bit muddier with the drop thing now, I feel because a lot of the brands, I think off the back of, Hocker with with their um, Meta Rocker does um, that's actually what's um what are they called um, anyway yeah the whatever rocker. they call their rocker their rocker system yeah uh, they 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 I think they were one of the first brands to have like that quite a large rear foot rocker as well so they don't just have the four foot rocker they've kind of got quite a tapered um this sort of yeah rocker at the, at the heel which I think for a maximalist shoe it's a very good design feature because if you've got a ton of cushion you've got a very squared off high drop rear foot it may load the the knees quite a lot um but even now like for example the like peg turbo yeah it's soft but it's low stack but it also had like quite an aggressive rear foot rocker and a lot of these ones have it's not just aesthetically it looks like it's got one if you put it on on the table you can kind of see it's the midfoot that has like the thickest part and then it really tapers off at the rear foot but um yeah so technically these shoes have like eight to ten mil drops but in function because i think it's the rear foot rocker and if you are someone that does land on the heel it functions like much lower drop than that so yeah. i yeah i kind of with personal experience with those shoes and then seeing some runners in like i think that's something runners maybe need to be a little bit wary of just like that geometry of the shoe and whether that plays a, you know, feeds into any of their issues. If they do have like calf Achilles issues or um, foot stuff, whether or not, you know, 
at the moment, like for example, it would be like it's even the New Balance 1080. So quite a big rear foot rocker. Yeah, Peg Turbo did. Um, yeah, there's a, there's a few of that. You yeah. kind of have to just look at the shoe because you won't see technical features. You just look at uh, like uh, it won't be specified on on any sort of website or anything. You just got to look at the shoe and, and try it on and, and have a feel for it, really. Yeah, 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 yeah. For, for how that feels, if you're getting much heel contact or whether it feels like you're getting pushed onto the forefoot real quickly. Yep. Okay, no, that's great. And what about, um, I remember speaking to Caleb McInnes and he mentioned um, in the rear foot, um, sometimes the geometry, whether it's sort of um, uh, more a square, sort of, if you look at it posteriorly, more a square kind of um, form or if it's a bit more uh, circular on the edges. Um, how much, um, uh, how much do you sort of look at that, um, specific, um, design aspect of the shoe when you're prescribing footwear? Um, I look at it, but it's more yeah. just, yeah, obviously very relevant to the person and the injury. So yeah. if someone's got, yeah, like I, I think conversely to, to, um, like in a general sense, you'd probably want that lateral corner to be, yeah, not too squared off. So it doesn't, um, you know, if it's really squared off laterally as, if, as you land as, as most should on that lateral border of the foot in a supinated position to then pronate from, if it's really squared off, it may flick you over into pronation a bit faster. So for, for most, you know, you, you probably want, um, a rounded or softer, um, lateral, uh, heel area in the shoe. But then, like I said, was, was going to say. It, there's some people that you almost want the opposite. So clinically, if someone's got like a perineal problem, um, I actually want to push them in like maybe like a, a I don't know, a shoe that tr more traditional shoes that are squared off and relatively firm midsole because it'll, it'll probably stabilize them laterally. Those, those, those people much less common, but have the more rigid high arch foot. that's very supinated and, and kind of rigid. Um, so, it, it, yeah, again, like it, it's hard. There's no like blanket. I, I'm still glad there's shoes on the market that actually are pretty firm laterally and are squared off laterally because that's perfect for those people, those runners that have perineal problems. Yeah. Um, but yeah, for the most part, you kind of you kind of want um, a bit of a rounded area there to make that transition from contact into pronation smoother. But it, it's probably also just as important is the. Um, the density of the foam there as well as the geometry of it. So if you've got a really nice soft, even if it's squared off, if it's soft, it's just going to crush. It's just going to, it's just going to, it's going to sort of crush there and then it'll, it'll roll in slower than if it was like a real high density, um, foam. So yeah, a lot of them are, you know, like, like for example, again, like peg turbo is, is quite symmetrical medial to lateral and, and relatively squared off laterally because it's marshmallow soft. It, um, it, it doesn't kick you over into that pronated position fast because it just, if you're landing laterally on there, it just compresses nice and, and you just kind of, you just kind of rock over very gradually. Yeah. Um, yeah. I can, that, that, so that's yeah. such an awesome point. Cause I just love how you keep saying that, um, uh, yeah, you, there's no blanket recommendation for everyone. Yeah. Um, um, cause it's yeah. just like every, well, every runner's different um their backgrounds different their running techniques different and then i like how you said before that you just wrap that there's a, such a great diversity of shoes nowadays um because then there's always going to be 
um, a shoe that fits someone depending on where they're at with their pain or their injury status. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. It's great that there is, it's great that there's a huge, yeah, diversity at the moment. Like, yeah, yeah. with the, with, you know, we were talking about the healers and that sort of stuff. I had someone recently with, um, with chronic, um, Tiban, like it was like a compartment syndrome type thing. Uh-huh. I don't see many of them at all. Um, but like for him, it was perfect. Like we got him into a, to an ultra zero drop shoe. And obviously as well, um, he was being helped with his physio, um, already thankfully with load management. So he was on top of that, but just this shoe change he felt, um, made a big difference. So just going to, you know, zero drop, which essentially did load his, and I said, it's probably going to load you just one or two your calf and Achilles and we'll see if it can handle those loads. Okay. But your, your anterior compartment, your, your, your issue you've been having for months will probably really appreciate it. Um, and you know, touch wood so far, it sounds like it's working really well. Nice. Um, so having that option as well, like, yeah, still having some zero drop shoes out there with, um, that do have a very level, varying levels of cushioning as well. So he, I think he's doing most of, um, a lot on, 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 on road at the moment. So you can still get like, they'll do zero drops still with a lot of cushion. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. So it's good. Um, it's just good that, that, yeah, that those options. That like leads pretty nicely into another one of the points that I wanted to cover was just your views on foot intrinsic exercises. So for the little muscles in your feet, um, uh, if, if someone is sort of, um, transitioning um so say they do have anterior shin pain and then it, it's been advised that um oh yeah try an ultra um a more minimalist um or a shoe with um, less a uh, zero drop um so that um you use your your foot muscles and calf muscles a little bit more to take the pressure off your anterior shin um like uh, uh with the with uh, if it was advised that they um, should sort of try to strengthen their foot, um, uh, what are your sort of um, views there? What what should what do you often prescribe, and and how do you go about it? I probably wouldn't. Um, I probably wouldn't do. It. I would assess their foot. Like if if I thought that they had like really poor um, toe position, like a bunion or, or like some clawed toes or um, poor muscle mass in their feet. Um, because yeah, it's huge variation. Like people probably, probably don't think about this, but think of podiatrist, um, you know, it's huge variation in, in people's foot muscle volume. Um, and so some people have quite muscly feet. Some just have, yeah, really poor muscle bulk and volume. And so if it was someone like that, that was going to yeah transition, then yeah, I probably would, um, give some cut, uh, some, some strengthening work, but for most people, I'd probably just say the transition, as long as it's a careful transition, it maybe those muscles will just, well, they, they would, they should get stronger as you transition. As long as you're transitioning slow enough, they will just get stronger. Yep. Um, and there was a, I think when was that, 2000 and, um, 2019, there was a study um, uh, looking at three groups, like one group, um, that all runners, one group that that uh, control shoe, a group that walked in minimal shoes. So what they weren't, they were runners, but they were just walking in their minimal shoes. Yeah. Uh, and then a group that did intrinsic strengthening exercises, and they were looking at, um, you know, was there was 
was just wearing minimal shoes going to strengthen the feet as much as doing foot strengthening exercises versus a control? Um, and interestingly, they versus the control group that didn't do either, uh, they just ran in their normal shoes. The If you just walk in a minimal shoe, you're going to get increases in strength and muscle volume, similar to if you did strength work. Like, um, yeah. Okay. So that's something else. And that interesting, I like that study as well, because when people think about minimalism and minimal shoes, like it doesn't even mean you have to be running in a, in a minimal shoe. Like you can strengthen your feet just by walking in a shoe that has a little bit less structure to it yeah. and that's way safer than yeah. than you trying to transition to running in a minimal shoe like i would say for most people that's the first port of call it's like don't try and run in a minimal shoe just start doing more in your day in your daily routine in a more minimal shoe um to see if you can gradually build up in a really safe way gradually build up that strength in a safe way and this study shows that that's possible as well so you can actually get strength just by forget about running but you can just walking in a more minimal shoe um, so less cushion, more flexibility in the shoe, make your foot work a little bit more. You can strengthen those feet. Yeah. Um, so with the, I looked at the, at the protocol for them, cause I was really interested in this one actually, cause, um, the protocol for them strengthening the feet. Cause a lot of people think about foot strengthening as doing like little activation exercise like foot doming and toe yep. curls and all this sort of stuff where you may be seated and doing these exercises and and for me that that's probably more like i said activation and, and maybe motor control as opposed to purely strengthening the feet but like I, I don't i don't know if you did those exercises uh even if you did a whole heap of them whether you'd actually get large increases in muscle volume and strength yeah you, you probably would get strength gains but they probably wouldn't be technically strength they'd be like um just motor patterning and, and you know that strength you get from better neural um and motor control yeah um so this study they they actually did calf raises in it as part of the foot strengthening protocol which is i thought well that makes sense because um uh, if if you do a calf raise um single leg body weight you're going to be working those foot muscles a lot more than if you're just seated trying to do some activation things whatever you're trying to do um, so that's what I do. Like if I'm trying to get someone, I do want someone to strengthen their, their muscles and their feet. Um, it's actually more so about doing, um, like a modified calf raise. So off the back of, um, Luke Kelly is a podiatrist in, um, he, he's done some pretty cool work, um, on foot intrinsics. Okay. He, I think he works out of, uh, Queensland Uni, I think. Okay. So he's done some really cool EMG stuff where he's looked at like the activity of the intrinsic muscles doing during various tasks, and um, even standing bilaterally, just standing up on both feet, your intrinsic muscles aren't actually that active. As soon as you switch to a single leg stance, they really fire up, and that that activity of the muscles really fires up. And then again, that happens again when you start doing single leg calf raises. There's much more activity of those muscles. Um, and then, interestingly, he's mentioned this before on another podcast, and I've chatted to him about it. He, he gets his um, his patients if he wants to strengthen the intrinsics, he'll do like a, a forward a forward lean. Um, so calf raise position, but whole body forward lean. So you basically move your center of mass um, in front of your foot. And again, that will engage the intrinsics further, even more so. So it's, it's trying to get um, a little bit of the, like a high percentage of the load down at the foot as opposed to just mostly at the calf. 
Yeah. Um, so that's what I do a lot of. I get a lot of people doing um, uh, calf raises with forward lean, yep. single leg, and progressing them to weighted. Yeah. So they'll actually then loading it up. So that that's you know proper strength training. I think we'll get better um, better gains in in strength that way. Um, still do do those little toe movement things and and that sort of stuff, but that's very just on clinical grounds. Like if they've got a bunion or they've got a certain injury um, where I think it would be beneficial, yeah. um, then we'll do some of those those movements and those things which might um, get better toe control and better positioning of the toes and all that sort of stuff. Um, it's not so much about just general foot strength doing those things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So. No, I, I think that's um, a great point, um, just differentiating between um, – activating and turning muscles on um, versus actually um, loading them up and strengthening them. And um, it's really funny, um, but yeah, you really, if you see enough feet, you can actually um, see when someone doesn't have muscle mass in their, in their, um, in their foot, like you can um, see, yeah. see it. Um, so yeah. Um, yeah. Nice. There was actually, there was a yeah. study, there's a good enough, like it's, 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 you could probably, um, it's, probably true as well for like you know how there was a, a period where um it was all about like core strength and like we're doing like heaps of floor based core strength stuff. yeah yeah and and like i already knew stuff about the foot but then i was listening to someone else actually it might have been tom goom actually you've had him on haven't you yeah yeah just recent so he he he, he uh, quoted this study that you know they they um did again they're doing emg so they're measuring muscle activity yeah and they measured it um they measured the, the core, they were measuring various core muscles. Um, I can't remember what transverse abdominis or yep. multifidus or that sort of stuff, maybe. But they were measuring the activity of those muscles doing these core exercises. So the exercises that were designed to strengthen the core, and then they they measured the EMG when they were doing squats and lunges, yeah, uh, weighted squats and lunges. And the, yeah, the core activation was yeah significantly higher um, doing those, you know, doing squats, doing weighted squats than trying to do like yeah any sort of core traditional core work yeah. i thought oh, that's that's awesome because that's like kind of fits um with my little my little foot theory as well yeah with, uh, yeah how, how are you going to go about strengthening um uh you know and there's you know there's there's a paper as well on it called like the foot core so it can call that call it the foot core now all the intrinsic muscles so i think um strengthening them if you want to strengthen it is you know it, it's it's more about um getting your body weight involved and, and more like adding external weight and that sort of stuff. Yep. Um, I just wanted to, I'm just wary of the time. I just wanted to, um, uh, go over one other, um, aspect, um, uh, uh, one other myth, myth or sort of misconception. And that's sort of to do with, with running technique and just to, to hear like what your stance is on running technique. Um, and, uh, how, how many um, runners do you get in, um, these days that are sort of, um, yeah, trying to change to forefoot or, um, or, or really pedantic about certain aspects of running technique, um, uh, when perhaps they should just work with their, with their body and, um, uh, yeah, like what, what's your views on running, running technique? Yeah. Um, I think it's important. Like, uh, I think there's a lot of misconceptions about it. Um, but yep. I think it's still important as long as it's done for the right, you know, if someone's going to change their running technique, if it's done for the right reasons and in the right way, then it's, it's a really good, helpful thing. Um, and yeah, primarily for me, like I, I'm only really doing it, um, from an injury standpoint. So if someone's injured, I'll, um, we may identify that, 
you know, I'll, I'll pretty much I'll look at every runner running when they come in and, and at least screen for, you know, I'm not looking for tiny, subtle things. I'm more just looking for any sort of, you know, blaring things to say, well, that's, that's certainly something we want to sort of change as part of our management of this injury. Um, and, um, yeah, so I think it's important, but it needs to be done for the right reasons. And I think there are still too many, like, blanket recommendations out there. Like, you still see... Um, yeah, I still see it just frustrates me like articles about like, yeah, four foot running being better. Um, and again, there's like, if you cherry pick studies that there'll probably be studies that might support your bias. There might be studies that, that have, that, you know, that seem like running on, on your four foot might be better. But, um, you know, in, in those instances, I always just draw people to like, there's, there was a good systematic review. So summarizing all of the, the evidence, um, on the topic, I think it was 2017, Joe Hamill, and it was basically just, you know, the weight of the evidence says there's no benefit to switching forefoot. You get no, there's no performance benefit um, of note um, and no injury prevention benefit of note. Um, so if you want to switch to forefoot to improve your, your performance or to prevent injuries, it's not worth doing. Um, but again, like, yeah, if you, I think the forefoot thing, it's just, it's just such an easy, it's like, it's such an easy thing to visualize and think about, but it's not that simple. Like if, if uh, a lot of the time, if I'm going to do a, a change someone's gait, it may be like a very subtle thing where instead of heel striking at X angle, they may be, you know, heel still heel striking, but at a slightly lower angle. And I'm not actually talking about changing angles of foot strike. I'm just cueing elsewhere and they just do that naturally. Um, so you know, for example, even just changing cadence can change the angle of contact. But going from like a, 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 a you know a decent heel strike to a four foot strike is probably just too much of a change in load as a cue to give. Actually, Rich, I think Rich Willie, I mentioned you, I mentioned you before. I think you should yeah. get him on. He's he's great. He yeah. He did some studies in his lab and he measured that people that are rear foot striking, if they consciously switch to a four foot strike it increases load at the achilles tendon by 48 times your body weight each mile yeah. so i was like i was like that's ridiculous it is ridiculous but you know i've experienced it personally because when i was um i was probably like 16 or 17 i read something about this yeah i was like yeah this four foot thing sounds great it sounds like i'm gonna run like a kenyan or something yeah. so i did it and i just switched onto onto my four foot like but really like pronounced and like i had horrible issues with my calf for, for about three or four months that took ages to sort of subside it's just it's because that's what it is it's just such a huge shift in load to that that part of your body um so it's not a good gate cue and it's it's just something that maybe should happen you might have small variations in contact angle with other if you want to you know other gate cues that may be safer to do like manipulating cadence is probably the safe one and um yeah, there was a there was an article. I don't know if you saw it in um, the Sydney Morning Herald a couple of weeks ago. On yeah, this person nah. was saying like 180 is the magic number. Oh, and yeah. I was like, I can't cannot believe that is still being peddled. Yeah. Um. So there's no yeah. So I don't get many runners like that actually think that or believe that. But you still need to you know tell runners that again like it's hugely variable. If we're going to manipulate it, it needs to be your, your, their cadence. It needs to be a small change. Um, and it, it, it's a change based off what they're already doing, not, yep. um, you know, some number you're going to pluck out of, yep. of somewhere that you think should be good for everyone. And, and when um, you are changing technique, it is, is it sort of like what you said with, with footwear and, and shoe changes? It's, it's for a reason, like 
um, like they might have pain or they've come in with an injury and you feel like that might be a good way to offload it for the short term? Yeah, I think definitely yeah. that's that's by far the most um, common reason I'd do it. Yeah. yeah. It's, that's how I prefer to do anyway because you, you, you have a, you, you know, then you can really follow up with your outcomes as well much easier than, than you just try and do something to prevent an injury or, you know, this sort of stuff. I think I don't really, yeah, it, I much prefer treating an injury and using gate cues as a way, as, as a management than, than anything else. Yeah. Um, because, you, again, it's like with footwear and, and orthotics, like it, with a gate, whatever I'm trying to do with the gate cue, it's got a purpose and the purpose is to reduce load to the injured part of the body. Um, so, yeah, that's, yeah, that's an easier way to do it, I think, than just thinking this might be better because it may reduce overall injury risk. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's awesome. I, I, I agree like 100% with that. And then um, I also like the whole idea of like, as you run more and as you become a more experienced runner, you you sort of self self optimize and your technique becomes a little bit more efficient um, anyway because like you learn your body has to learn how to run quicker over time and just by by um, ticking off week after week month after month year after year um, and gradually increasing your training as 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 your body um, tolerates it. Um, you know, with with some nice repetitions, interval work, hill work, drills, um, your body learn learns how to move a bit more skillfully across the ground um, with, with um, good training. Like, um, yeah, like what are your thoughts on, on that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm the same boat as you. I agree totally that um, over time, um, I think most people will self-optimise and doing all that stuff. I think doing intervals and drills is great skill development and is just so so helpful for, for the runner so even you don't have to be you know a, a high-end runner to be doing drills or anything i think everyone should you know be great for, for most runners to to be doing yeah just drills working on coordination and 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 um and the intervals which works on um you know energy storage and just you know running differently like with different form leg turnover and all that sort of stuff um and i think that'll have over time a good flow on effect um yeah 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 no i think like that's a really good good um we've covered all the things i wanted to cover um so yeah orthotics um minimalism running technique um and then a bit of stuff about motion control and zero drop um, in shoes, but then also like, I really liked how, um, you sort of said there's no blanket, blanket rule for everyone and everyone's, everyone's different. Um, and then like even listening to a podcast you did recently, uh, with Ian Griffiths, um, in April where he sort of, uh, went over, um, your subjective, um, into your interview with every patient that you, you, um, treat and, the first um, 12 questions um, or more were all about um, training and training load and um, stress. Um, and then the next um, lot of questions were all about recovery and how the athlete recovers. So like, I feel like um, that sort of um, shows uh, where our focus should be initially. And then like um, if people are ticking the box there, then you sort of, uh, 
you sort and they're still injured and sore, then you sort of start to to, to go in a bit more deeper um, into these other areas. Would yeah, is that a good yeah. summary? Yeah, I think yeah. As much as I love shoes, um, <laughs> you know, there's bigger reasons people are injured. Um, you know, much bigger. It's not you know, there there was that there was that uh, pretty interesting study on like just or is this like a survey uh, like asking runners you know why do you think people runners get injured and there was just so many that said shoes is like the most important thing and it's just it's crazy because no it's obviously training load um you're not going to get a running injury if you don't run so it's like that's the driver is is the um the load and your training organization and, and your progression um and all the other stuff filters in, but it's not as important for some people. Yeah, like you said, like it's, it's individual. So for some people, once you've screened all that stuff, you may, you may start thinking, Oh, maybe this other stuff does have a significant role. And you st- obviously we still see that clinically if someone's just, their training hasn't changed, but they have switched shoes. Then yeah, you can identify that that shoe is potentially, you know, a pretty big driver to that injury. Um, but yeah, you got to tick off the main things first. You got to you got to really get into. Uh, it takes time, but that's the that's the important stuff. You got to delve into all that stuff, all the risk factors that they maybe won't um, have even thought about. Or I always as well. I ask them when they come in. I really like asking runners why they think they're injured, <clears throat> just to get. Yep. You know, I want to know their perception. Because sometimes it, it, it may mean if their perception is something totally different to what I think is why they're injured, I need to spend more time like rationalizing to them why I think differently to them rather than just saying, no, this is why. Because uh, they're probably not going to buy in very well if, if you're just sort of telling them it's this and they think it's something else and you haven't explained why you think that. Um, so, yeah, it's um, that stuff's just super important. You need to go, yeah, you need to go through all that um, that that training and recovery and stress stuff um and the other stuff comes next yeah no i I love how um you you really delve into um the patient's belief system because um you have to get pretty um you have to get to that to actually make a change um so um no that that's a, a a really great summary um with um a lot of um, listeners will listen to this, and if they're in the sort of um, sort of North Sydney area, um, how's best that they can reach out to you, Tom, and uh, contact you if they've got you know some uh, an injury that they want you to uh, want to chat to you or, or see you about. Website. I mean, I'm, my clinic's Walker Street Sports Podiatry, uh, and you could just go into Walker Street Sports Podiatry uh, and Google that. The website is just WalkerStreetSportsPodiatry.com.au. Um, you can book online. You can get a little bit of information there about the appointments and, and whatnot. Um, also, um, e- email, you can just yeah, email just my name, Thomas DeCanto at, email, at, at gmail.com. Uh, if anyone wants to email me, um, yeah, that's probably, the, that's probably it. Yeah. No, thanks so much for your time. Uh, yeah, it's been a pleasure chatting. Um, Yeah, a lot of people will enjoy this one. Thanks for having me, Dane. No worries. Appreciate it. All right, thanks, mate.